Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Friday, November the 17th, as we like to do uh, once a week, once in a while. We're chatting with our good friend George Rodriguez from South Texas. George, welcome. And uh, the Texas Rangers are still the world champs. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And, and, the, and the Dallas Cowboys are looking good, too. They are looking good. Yes, they are looking good. And there's a lot of talk in Houston about what the Astros yeah. are going to do. So... So I'm sure that there's there's it's going to be an exciting off season and the next baseball season is going to have a Houston or an Astros Ranger feeling to it that we haven't had before. So that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. Let me begin today though. This is not political, but it's a, it's a very personal story. Uh, former First Lady Rosalind Carter. Uh, has just gone into uh, hospice, and her husband, the former president, has been in hospice uh, for a few weeks. So the two of them are in hospice uh, together down in Georgia. And it's an interesting story, George, because you and I are of the same generation, so we remember the Carter presidency. You know, we were there uh, as voters or as citizens. And so the name Jimmy Carter, the name Rosalind Carter, means something to you and me. You know, it's it's a it's a time in our in our lives, and uh, but for most Americans, it doesn't mean anything because half of the country probably was born after he was president. I mean, my sons don't remember him obviously because they were born in the late '80s, early '90s. So I just think it's a moving moment. I, I always thought that. President and Mrs. Carter were a great couple. Uh, they were a great love story uh, all their lives, and they were very good people to each other. Uh, so I just, you know, I wanted to wish the best to them, um, you know, and thank them for their service. Uh, he was a, a Navy veteran, and she was always a great wife. So, I, you know, I just, uh, it, it's, it, it's just one of those moments you remember because we remember his presidency, George. And they have always, you know, it, they've been around so long that you always that you took them for granted, whether he was the president or the ex-president or working with the uh, with the uh, building of homes, uh, whether he was uh, a senior statesman in some form or fashion. And of course, he was uh, she was always uh, around also uh, working on charities and whatnot. Uh, they have I mean, they have spanned uh, a couple of generations at least uh that's it, right uh, it it is uh it is really sad i mean a lot of people remember them mostly just as um as ex-president at this point or someone uh you know a, an older man working on a house um that that became his uh uh the, the picture that that most people were looking at um it is uh, it, it's also a great love story that they are both in the hospice now at right. this point, uh, right. accompanying each other. Yes, it, it is. And, you know, obviously at times like this, we put politics on the side and we think of them as, as human beings. And I always, you know, I had my problems with, obviously, with President Carter politically. and uh, But I have to admit that, you know, I always thought they were a great role model as a couple and uh, as two people and great parents and everything else. So we obviously wish, uh, you know, President and Mrs. Carter the best. And he will be the last of a uh, of our presidents 
the last president that has actually been in combat, uh, that has been in the military and has been in combat. So uh, he was know, in Korea, right? I think. Um, yeah, he was in the Navy. I I thought he was also in uh, in, uh, in the World later stages of World War II. Well, he was born in 1924, so there's a pretty good chance that he could have been in World War II. But, but he was a Navy. I think he was a Navy. He was uh, a Navy cadet. A Navy cadet, yeah. And they they have these great pictures of them when when you know he's he's all dressed up as a young Navy man. And uh, she, I guess, when they first got married, We're not a cadet. Uh, they call him midshipman. I'm sure. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So anyway, so we wish. President and, and Mrs. Carter the best as, as they enter into this uh, last stage of their life. And I will say one thing about President Carter. As I say, I don't think he had a great presidency, but there's a lot of great things that he did as a former president. And what you talked about, Habitat for Humanity, which is a project that he got very involved in, that was a great project. And he was very involved in that. And then he also did some work as I remember, uh, working on elections in, in different countries around the world. So I think he used his, uh, his former presidency uh, as a way of advancing good things, and I'm, I'm happy to, uh, for that. But anyway, so just a word about President and, and Mrs. Carter as they face uh, what looks like the end of their lives down in Georgia together. But I think you're right. I think the idea that they're together, it's 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 a bit it, it's kind of a fitting ending because they've always been together, you know, George. It's it's yeah. kind of you know, kind of a fitting ending to to them. Well, let's talk about some current issues. Um, and let's begin with vouchers. That is uh, a real surprise. That it was a real shocker to me. I was too. I I and and the fact that it, it almost leads me to conclude, and just for those who may not be aware of it, uh the house uh, basically voted down the vouchers. They passed the bill without the vouchers, which, of course, the Senate has already approved the vouchers. So the the governor has said that he's not signing the bill without the vouchers, so it's not going anywhere. Either they're going to have to come back and redo the bill, or there's going to be another session, I guess. I'm not exactly sure how that works. But, you know, the opposition, George, and that's where I wanted to to bring this up with you. The opposition to the vouchers is coming from a lot of Republicans um, who who are saying that their public school is at the center of their community, which is exactly right. It is. But I've never seen the vouchers as a threat to those schools. Oh, I've always, to me, the vouchers are nothing more than competition for those schools to make them better. Well, you have competition, think, they're going to make I think them better. That competition is at the heart of this, of this, uh, uh, of this uh, opposition. It really is. I mean, they don't want opposition from uh, a uh, another school district nearby or another school nearby. And our definition of nearby is the thing that's that's at play here. I mean, to some of these communities, the nearby might be uh, 50 miles away. Uh, but they feel, I guess, strong enough that they are in complete opposition to it. And, uh, you know, I... I really did think that the opposition was not that strong, that the opposition understood that uh, they would, their um, competition uh, in their communities was never going to be 
as much as it is in the urban areas. But apparently, more deals were cut behind the scenes on other issues, and uh, it got defeated. I mean, I really think it's going to be very difficult to resurrect it at this point. Well, it probably is. But if the governor doesn't sign the education bill, then all these other things that are included in the bill, extra pay for the teachers, extra retirement for the teachers. If you've been following, you know, I've been following Twitter on this issue for the last couple of days. And all the groups opposed to vouchers were saying, you know, let's vote against vouchers to give the teachers a pay increase or to give the teachers more money. But they're not going to get that money without vouchers because in order for that money to go out, the governor has to sign the bill. And the governor said, I'm not signing it. So, you know, I don't know who's going to win this thing, but it's almost like a, you know, I'm not signing it without vouchers. So where does it go then if he doesn't sign it, George? Well, um, that's a good question. If it doesn't get signed, obviously it don't it doesn't happen. So that might be the that might be the answer to this whole situation. Although, um, then it raises poli- political questions or political opposition for the for the uh, for the governor. So um, my um, overall, I am very very disappointed that after everything that was said and done, and even that this session was specifically for the vouchers that it didn't get done. Yes, I am too. And uh, and I'm sure the governor is disappointed too. And, and I support vouchers, not because I want to see the end of public schools, which is the demagoguery they always throw at you. I, I'm not I'm not opposed to public schools. I, I, I'm in favor of good schools. And, and I want to give the parents the power to take their kids out of a bad school if they want to and put them in a better school. That That's all I'm interested in. It's not really ideology for me it's 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 making sure that the schools are the best and i think the way you make your schools better is by competition george and and that's it and i mean why are we afraid of competition i don't understand what the problem is in 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 having competition if unless you can't compete and i think that this is the this is at the core of the national association of of teachers the national uh, education association the teachers union does not want competition because it can't compete because their union is a union geared for more money for an education industry and uh, to uh, assist uh, in gaining more money. It has nothing to do with the students. Right. Now, if you have if you have competition uh, for the public schools that they control, they cannot compete. Right. Well, and the other thing that makes me mad is that you've got about 20 Republicans who have basically given, at least for the moment, a victory to the Democrats, a victory they don't deserve because they don't have anything on the table to any solution on the table other than we're against vouchers. That's the only solution they have. The only point is we're opposed to vouchers. Okay, so if you don't like vouchers, what do you propose? Well, we want more money. Well, George... Look, I'm sure you, uh, i like to get your thoughts on this, but I've never been a believer that more money is going to fix More money problem. doesn't fix things. No. Uh, if I it mean, did, it, we would have fixed a lot already. <laughs> that's right. I mean, it's not like our school. It is, it, it are, is. Again, again, Silvio, what I say is that the opposition to vouchers to free competitive education comes from the education industry that has a a, um, 
that that has that has a, a control uh, over it, uh, over education, and they don't want, they do not want competition. That's right. No, I think you're right. I think you're right, and that's what it is. So you may, you know, you may be right that that this is over, but I, on the other hand, if the governor doesn't sign it, then yeah, nothing well, gets done. I, I, so it, it certainly, and certainly, this again shows the 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 schism uh, between the grassroots Republican uh, uh, leaders who wanted who have placed it on the agenda, who have placed it on the um, uh, 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 on the outline to uh, for the um, the blueprint for the for the party, and those that are absolute that are that are that are voting, those that are working at capital uh, at, at the capital. I mean, there right. seems to be a gap there, and um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm very disappointed today with this whole situation. I am too. I am too. And you know, the the Republican Party is the party of school choice, and and that you know that twenty Republicans would kill it. That's what I thought here in te- here in Texas. Yeah. Well, that's that's what we've been publicly saying when you run these campaign ads. You're in favor of school. So anyway, I I am going to say this, I don't think it's over yet. I think the governor is has already said that he's not going to sign anything. Maybe that'll put pressure on enough Republicans to turn this around. You don't need all of them. You know, if you could maybe cut a, a few off and, and negotiate something. But I've always felt, I've always felt that if I, if I was the representative of a rural school district, uh, obviously, I've got this high school there that means a lot to me and the history of my town and all of that. I get that. So what I would say to the governor is, look, you know, I'll I'll go on your voucher program, but just give me more money. Make sure that I have money in my district for this school to survive. So it's almost as, as you can negotiate vouchers by giving money away, kind of. Do you understand what I mean? Something yeah, like that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the, this situation again, um, how it is resurrected for the next session. And I think, again, if uh, like you say, that if the, that if the governor doesn't sign it, well, then it's still alive. It's still kicking. And um, so uh, how how it is handled, if it is handled in the future, and I'm pretty sure it will. I mean, people are going to be very, very upset and they're going to bring it back. Um, yeah, pitchforks, pitchforks this next time, I'm sure. So um, how it is handled next uh, is going to be very, very interesting. The, yes, I agree. The, I agree. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, nothing may happen between now and the end of the year because of the holidays. And the governor may not call a new session until January or something. But it'd be interesting to see how some of the Republicans. <laughs> yes, but it'd be interesting to see how many of these Republicans uh react to this with primaries a month ahead you got it because i do think that this is going to generate some primary challenges it's going to Uh, definitely yeah definitely be some some screaming and yelling in in their districts absolutely now the on another issue this new border law that the governor signed that that one apparently yelling yes that one apparently passed without any troubles now, Mexico is opposing it, and I've got a, a post over at the American Thinker today where Mexico opposes this. The, the argument for the Mexican government is that this is a threat to Mexican citizens, which I don't quite understand that. 
they say, well, we don't support having Mexicans sent back or deported back to their home country. Well, that's not what this law is about. If you're a Mexican national or descendant of, of Mexico or whatever, and you live in Texas, you don't have nothing to worry about. Uh, I mean, this is strictly people who are crossing the border illegally. That's all that illegally. this is about. It, it, it's people who are crossing the border illegally at non-entry points. And that's there you at, go at the non-entry points, because even, uh, you know, at, at the bridge, you can cross You can come across and, you know, I would say almost 90 percent of the people that are crossing right now at the bridge uh, are uh, illegally because they don't have identification. However, they are showing that they have an app and they are registering with a name and they are in. And that's the end of it. Right. So now, uh, Mexico is saying that. They're not sure they would take them back. Well, they're coming from Mexico. Exactly. So where are you going to send them back to? Yeah. But the other thing that concerns me, George, is that most of these people are not even Mexicans who are coming. Correct. In fact, I think you've indicated several times that that very few of them are Mexicans. Most very of them few. are from other nationalities. The ones, so, well, the one, the, let, me, let me back up and say that the ones that are crossing at non, non-entry points um, they are Mexicans. Uh, not It's not a vast majority, but they are Mexicans. And the reason that those Mexicans are crossing there is because um, the Biden administration has a rule that they give preference to Venezuelans, Cubans, Nicaraguans, uh, and, uh, and Haitians. And so they have, that's how they've been doing. Now, along with all of those, they're also allowing uh, everybody else uh, from around the world, Chinese, uh, Ukrainians, to uh, to enter at at, the, at this time, Mexicans have historically, in the past uh, ten years, been uh, denied and deterred and sent back unless they were coming in with a visa or with a work permit, and consequently, you did have a lot of you know, you had a lot of people. Now, also, a lot of Mexicans have been making a ton of money uh, on the other side helping people to come across. So there has not been that much of a need, of an economic need for these folks to uh, come across and look for work. They've got lots of work across the, right. across the border. So, um, you know, this situation of Mexico saying that they're not going to take Mexicans or that they're not going to take anybody else, um, I, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. However, th- what is going to play out is that people are going to understand that Texas doesn't want them here. And uh, I think that that's going to be a deterrent and you're going to see fewer people crossing into Texas, period. Probably more more uh, activity in California and in uh, Arizona. Right. The other thing, too, is that I think it puts on the front page the issue of, of the federal government failing. Yes. And, and I think that makes uh, Texas look better. Uh, and that kind of ties into what's happening in New York where the mayor of New York has just come out and basically told the citizens, we're going to have to cut back a lot of the local services, as you indicated before the, the, the podcast, uh, including the police and the firefighters. Now the, the excuse from the governor, not the excuse, but he is citing the 140,000 or whatever migrants that have, uh, that who have arrived and, in New York City. And that's a problem. I'm not going to deny that that's not a problem. But I think the real problem in New York City is that they're losing taxpayers. 
that that I think is the chief problem. They continue to lose taxpayers, and if oh. you're losing taxpayers, well, you're not, not going to be able that, to fund not it. Not only that, but the the tax base that they've got, uh, it is a dwindling tax base, but it's also uh, a, um, uh, a a situation where they're using the taxes in the wrong places. And um, you know the the announcement this the, that uh, yesterday that uh, they are going to that the uh, the gov- that the mayor is going to start defunding uh, the police. That there is going to be fewer police officers. Imagine that: fewer police officers, fewer firefighters, in a city that's racked with crime, because they want to take that money and they want to use it for social services for the illegal aliens. That, I mean, to me, is mind-boggling. Right. Politically, that's a disaster. I don't, I don't know how anybody can politically survive something like that. I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, you can say we're a sanctuary city uh, and that you're going to take migrants, and because you've got so much money, you're going to take them. But when it's the other problem, you know, that you don't have enough money and you got to cut back, Politically, that's a disaster. I don't know how the mayor survives it. Yeah, I mean, politically, it's well, just and again, impossible. I mean, it's such a it's such a heavy look at at Chicago. Chicago is doing a similar thing. Uh, Chicago has been housing uh, migrants uh, in the police uh, stations, and um, you know, while they cut back on police officers, they are opening offices in the police station to put in cots uh, for these folks. The um, the showers uh, and lockers that were reserved for the police officers at the police station, as they should be, have been taken over by the by the migrants, and the city doesn't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> no, every time you see one of these interviews of the citizens, they're up in arms. Yeah, about this stuff. In fact, I just saw somebody send me uh, some lady in, in Facebook who I follow send me a note saying that the approval rating for the mayor of Chicago is like 30%. And the guy has only been in office six months. Yes. I mean, it's not like he's been there a long time. Yeah. But again, I think a lot of demagoguery is, is catching up with these people. And, and so now you have a situation. I don't know how the mayor, but you know what amazes me is that what the mayor of New York wanted to do and the mayor of Chicago and the mayor of L.A., is what they wanted to do is they wanted to somehow get Congress to bail them out. Right. Well, they keep asking for that. Right. That is a constant that, um, you know, they don't they don't say anything about shutting down the border. They don't say anything about uh, uh, curtailing the immigration flow. They want more money. Right. Well, they it's always money, you know, get going, going back to the public to the public education conversation we were having. These people always think money is a solution. You know, just give me more money and we'll take it. No, if you give them more money, more migrants will come. That's that's what will happen. That's what will what will happen to them. A couple of quick stories, as long as we're talking about the migrants. Uh, Univision, one of the two Spanish-speaking uh, networks in the United States. And by the way, I've been on Univision. You have too. Uh, and they've always treated me well, so I don't have personally any complaints uh, about them. But there, there is a little bit of an internal struggle going on at Univision because some of the people who work there thought that the, the, in this last interview with President Trump, that the network was a little accommodating yes. uh, to President Trump. And, 
you know, I didn't see the whole interview. I saw bits and pieces of it. It, you know, it it didn't look to me like they were being accommodating. They were just being respectful to a former president, giving him the opportunity to speak. I mean, he is a former president and could be the next president of the United States. But I think the larger issue that I want to get to is, I think what Univision is doing is they're beginning to realize that the Hispanic market is changing, at least politically. And they don't want to be on one side or the other. They want to be able to reach a broader base of the market. And that is many Hispanics who support Trump, uh, George. I do. I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. The latest um, polls that you have been seeing uh, this past week show that um, uh, Hispanics are uh, 60% uh, in, uh, in favor of uh, Republicans, uh, specifically Donald Trump. And uh, the, the um, uh, rating for uh, Biden is down in the 30s. So um, I think that the bell has rung in a lot of folks at Univision and hopefully at Telemundo as well, that um, they, have a, they have an audience, a potential audience that they cannot offend, that they cannot push away, that they should embrace, that you have many Americans of Mexican descent, and that's what I'll call them, Many Americans of Mexican descent, many Cubans of uh, of America, uh, many Americans of Cuban descent, and um, uh, and these folks cannot be cannot be offended, cannot be turned off by Univision uh, like they have in the past. You're, right. You need to reach out and embrace them, and the best way to do it is you know be uh, much more uh, uh, much more objective. Um, with uh, politics, particularly with Donald Trump, since they have been so uh, angry with him in the past. Right. I think in the past, Univision was very rough and at times very unfair on on President Trump, I felt. I always thought they were unfair to, to President Trump. Uh, you know, I don't mind tough interviews, but I thought at times they were just unfair to President Trump. But I think you're right. I think they're beginning to realize, you know, the other thing, too, with Univision, they, they have to understand, you know, that you have people like you say, Cuban descent. My parents used to watch the Spanish news uh, at night because it was easier for them to understand it, uh, especially the national news. They, they, they enjoyed it. Uh, and like my parents, you have other other groups, not necessarily Mexican-Americans, but other groups who follow. And the more middle class you get, the more, you know, the more conservative you get. Yeah, the more conservative, the more entrepreneurial. And, and, and you and, have many, many folks like you and I who are bilingual, who we can handle both languages. And, um, you know, they need, I mean, I, I rarely watch Univision, you know, because uh, their news, because I, I do, I, I feel they're very biased. Well, if they want to capture me, they're going to have to be a little, they're going to have to move a little bit more to the center. Right. And it's it's a business, George. It's I mean, business. aside from... Aside from the politics of it, it's a business. I mean, it's it's a business. I mean, look look what happened to CNN. Yeah, you know, CNN basically lost half of its audience because they became they became the anti-Trump network. Half of the country doesn't even watch CNN. Exactly. I mean, they're having a heck of a time getting audiences. And MSNBC is even worse. Well, I I don't. MSNBC is so crazy. I don't even I don't even know what's going they on. There. They really are. They really are. They've gone really nutty. But, you know, yeah, I mean, they're, they're just nutty. I don't know what's going on 
over there. One last uh, point, George, here, kind of wrapping up things. Um, a lot of anti-Semitism at the, at the colleges. Uh, you're, you're seeing, you know, young Jewish students being interviewed on TV. They feel threatened in the colleges. Um, a lot of people with money cutting back their contributions. That's got to hurt. And just a, a lot of talk about this. Were, are you surprised that we're seeing this in our colleges, George? Uh, I, I personally am not. I have seen it there forever. Lurking below the surface has been this anti-Semitism, and I have always wondered why uh, liberal Jews didn't see it and, and, and react to it or respond to it. Um, the fact of the matter is that once you embrace a, an ideology such as the, uh, the Palestinian struggle, as they put it, uh, by definition, you are going to uh, adapt, uh, accept or uh, uh, get yourself uh, involved with the rest of the ideology coming out of the uh, UN, which talks about colonialism and who which talks about anti-Semitism, anti-Americanism. Anti-Americanism and anti-Semitism are tied at the hip. And um, now I think with this whole situation, with this attack by Hamas, this massacre, I think that the mask has been pulled off of these characters. And this has uh, created a situation uh, where a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Jews uh, on campuses, a lot of liberal Jews are now suddenly feeling very, very uncomfortable. And uh, I mean, I, 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 I remember hearing uh, folks like uh, Farrakhan be, be very anti-Semitic. Um, and uh, I, you know, when the Black Lives Movement started uh, a couple of years ago, uh, there were a lot of anti-Semitic comments there, but people would overlook it. J liberal Jews would overlook it. I don't think at this point, I don't think they can do that anymore. No, I think it, you're exactly right. W what's happened in the universities, I agree with you 100%. They've been cultivating this crazy anti-American ideology. Uh, a lot of it is just anti-American. And it's being cultivated by these crazy professors who are basically getting young people to hate their country. That's what it, it really comes down to. And it's all exploded. It, like you know, somebody just opened the window and it all came out. It all came out here and in Texas. It, here in Texas, for example, uh, Silvio, we've got uh, we've got a lot of Chicano professors who uh, are preaching that uh, that th there's a similarity between occupied Palestine, as they put it, and occupied Texas, <laughs> occupied Mexico, as right. should I say, and uh, and and a lot of these young people buy into that. Well, I mean, you're 19 years old, you graduated from high school from some middle class neighborhood, and you come into a university and you want to respect the professor, you assume the professor knows what he's talking about, and he tells you all this stuff. But I, I've seen the, these marches, George, and for example, you've seen some of these videos of Jewish students being literally attacked in the universities, being pushed around by these crazy mobs. But here's the, here's the question of the week, George. This is what I like you to maybe ponder on the weekend and maybe give me an explanation the next time we get together, George. Here's the question of the week. I would like to know, where in the world is the factory that makes all these Palestine flags like that? Yes. Every, every time they have one or, of these... Or those 
really nice signs. Signs. And last night they had this uh, attack, I guess, at the Democrat National Headquarters. Yes. Everybody had a, the same jersey. Exactly. The, exactly. So I'm trying to figure out where are the, all these factories that make the flags? What colleges? I mean, who makes them? Who stores them? Because it, it looks like every time there's a demonstration, everybody looks the same, sounds the same, and has a Palestine flag. I didn't know there were that many Palestine flags in the United States, Drew. We exactly. got more Palestine flags in the United States than they do in Palestine. Exactly. I mean, it's exactly. crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But Somebody at least sure, sure markets them quickly. <laughs> sure. But the point you made, and I think you're right on target, George, in what you said, and I, I congratulate you for seeing this. I think that, you know, the window is open and all this bad smoke and order is out and people are beginning to realize this garbage that is being cultivated in our universities where, I mean, you see these young people, 19, 20 year old young people, they hate Israel. And you ask yourself, why? Where did this come from? Yeah, exactly. My, well, my favorite, but you know, my favorite one, George, my favorite one, the one that will go down in history is Queers for Palestine. Yes. I oh, love yeah. that. That I would really that. work. I hope they march. I hope they take that group and send it to Gaza. Exactly. And they march in, in Gaza. But 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 you're right. I think it's all been exposed. I and think maybe well, that's you know, the, the, the good COVID, thing. COVID, uh, the uh, kids staying home exposed what uh, the kids were being taught in the public schools. And now this has exposed what they're learning in the universities. Absolutely. And in. And I think that gives some of the state legislatures an opportunity to go after some of these schools. Correct. And I also hope we go after some of these students yes. from other, you know, these foreign students. foreign students. You know, we love to have you in the United States, but if you're going to engage in that kind of behavior, you're not going to sit around. <laughs> That's right. Well, George, as always, thank you so much for your time. It's always a lot of fun, always a lot of you got uh, good conversation. Have a great weekend. Thank and you. we'll chat the next time. Why do I have a funny feeling we'll be talking about vouchers the next time? Well, uh, because I don't think that the governor is going to sign it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. He's not going to sign it. Well, thank you for your time, George. It's always great to have you. You have a good one. Thank you. All right. Our good friend, uh, George Rodriguez from South Texas, always chat with, with George. I think, you know, the key, the big story today, of course, pardon my my voice, I've been battling a bad cold here for several days. I think I'm better now, but for a few days, I wasn't sure. But I, I, I sound probably a lot better than I did a few days ago. But the big story, of course, is this vouchers that we talked about. I don't get this. I don't get these Republicans overwhelmingly going, not overwhelming, but like 20 of them going against the vouchers. I've never seen vouchers as something that kills public education. I've only seen vouchers as simply giving parents the opportunity to choose a school that they prefer and, as, in a sense, creating competition, which is a good thing. I think competition in any field, including education, is, uh, is a good thing. So the governor said he's not going to sign it. We'll see what happens. But this is probably not, a, not the last time that we will bring up this topic. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.